Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And today I'm with a professional speaker, author, trainer, uh, ranked top five in the world for sales training. He's writing a new book called The Keys to Crushing It. And I can't wait to get my hands on it. He runs not just one company or two, but three outward facing companies. I'm sure he has a lot more than that. So Bryce McKinley, um, man, you've done a lot of amazing things in your life. And a lot of people could look at it from the outside and go, wow, he just got there. And I'll bet it wasn't quite that easy. So we're going to peel back the onion with Bryce today and help you see how the tip of the iceberg sometimes isn't the whole story and that all of us have a story and it's important to tell. So Bryce, welcome to the call. And Chad, thank you so much. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I think people underestimate the valleys that we go through from mountaintop to mountaintop, man. And it has definitely been a roller coaster ride. And we're not, we're not done. I mean, I'm halfway through this life, brother. Yeah, that's right. We're only at halftime and there's two quarters left. And we've seen what happens in Super Bowls when there's two quarters left. <laughs> started and i'm a green bay fan <laughs> we just flushed the season down the drain you know <laughs> i was in the parking lot at the broncos green bay game when uh when all those shenanigans were going on those were some good good old days brett Favre and everything everybody else yeah so let's let's dig in um if if i were to ask your friends and family or whoever hey what are the three words you would use to de describe Brian, or Bryce, sorry. What what would those three words be, do you think? You know, what I would hope that they would say and what they'd probably say are two different things. You know, uh, I am first and foremost a husband and a dad. You know, my, uh, my wife, next to my faith in God, my wife comes first on this earth and my son and my daughter come second and then everything else falls in line. And uh, I think... Because I have a forward-facing presence with social media and what I've done in business, a lot of people recognize me as a dad first. Uh, my, I am proudly the parent of a multimillionaire 11-year-old. He, uh, he's built a really cool company where he does coaching and mentoring to kids on Twitch and Discord and, and Fortnite night and and so forth um hashtag the middle school millionaire but uh man i'm a dad or i'm a husband first and, and then a dad um, i think my friends would probably tell you that i am the consummate salesman i i I always am over exuberant with energy and always asking great questions and, and things like that and I think they would probably say that I'm a salesman if they didn't say I was a dad and a husband, they would say I'm a salesman, a serial entrepreneur, and uh, probably just a crazy SOB, man. I, <laughs> I've done some crazy dumb stuff in my life, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I just talked to someone this morning who for 21 years was on the uh, anti-ADHD pills and everything else. And he said, you know what? I wasn't myself. And finally, for the last couple of years, he came off it. And now his, he's getting a divorce because he's a, he's a different person when you go inside and discover who you really are. And it was a very interesting story because when you talk about these, these things that you hit in life, 
that's just part of life. And so, you know, when you when you take too many medications or you try to mute it out, it's like, hold on, let's experience life the way that God intended it to be, right? Drug free. <laughs> but that's yeah. another conversation. We're gonna get to that in a second. So <laughs> let's rewind the tape from from now till when you're five, six years old. Um, I, I assume you weren't a middle school, a middle school multimillionaire at that time. What was your passion when you were five, six? Some of your first memories. What did you love to do when you were that age? Dude, I love that question. I loved dinosaurs as a kid, man. I just, I was that kid. I had all the little dinosaur collections. You know, T-Rex was not my favorite one like every other typical child. I loved the uh, the Stegosaurus and I loved the Brontosaurus. They were just like these gentle giants, but they could create and wreck havoc if they needed to and so you know i always remember playing with them and my brother was always the t-rex and just showing them how i could whip them with the tail and take over by size and dominate right um i also was really into bmx freestyle i i, I loved bmx and and riding freestyle bikes uh, my grandpa was a firefighter and in his department at his firehouse, they would always help disheveled and, and poor kids in the neighborhood and build these really cool bikes. And so um, he, he ended up, we were, we were really poor. My parents were really poor. My mom still works in a factory today. My dad, my dad still drives a truck today and they refused to leave their J-O-B. And because we were poor, I had a different reality uh, of set of goals. You know, I wasn't going to go and work in the factory because I listened to my mom gripe and complain whenever my dad would go take her lunch or whenever my mom would take my dad lunch at the car dealership that he detailed cars. We could never go into his place of employment. I was like, well, how am I going to learn? And so I started, you know, searching outside of myself and my family. And uh, I, I realized at a young age, I had this uncanny ability, Chad, to create income and what would later become known as wealth. And so I went from, you know, baseball card collecting, dinosaur collecting, BMX riding around the neighborhood, showing off for the neighborhood, you know, girls in the elementary and middle school to uh, having this entrepreneurial spirit. And at eight years old, I, I can talk to my parents into getting the paper out. And that's kind of where my entrepreneur journey starts is at eight. Wow. How, is there is there a line that connects the dots from then to now? I mean, when you tell the dinosaur story, I, I, I see it almost like looking in the mirror, right? Because you're not playing the role of the T-Rex. And I bet you a lot of salespeople tend to play the role of the T-Rex and, they, yeah. and they're not as effective as, as the person playing the role of the other ones that you talked about, the Stegosaurus and the other one, right? Yeah. Um, how, does, how does that what you were, you know, what you were passionate about then, does it relate to the kind of work you do today? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've never really thought about it. And I, I think that as a sales professional, being able to adapt and shift and go on the offense when you are on the defense and back and forth and, and adapt like that, it works best. And, and just like those dinosaurs, you know, as I look at my journey, it was all about consistency. Even when times got tough, how did I show up? How did I push through the noise? How did I fight through? Because don't get me wrong, that T-Rex is going to cause a lot of damage. 
but there's no way that T-Rex, unless there's multiple of them, and they didn't run in packs. They were individual lone wolves. There was no way that T-Rex was going to take down a Brontosaurus. That Brontosaurus was big and strong and heavy and consistent. And I think that that's really one correlation that carried me through, you know, and uh, yeah, I've never really thought about it that way, but I would definitely have to agree with that for sure. Well, it's interesting because I just spent some time at a conference and we were two hours smoking a cigar at the hot tub and there were four unique minded individuals, Caroline, who does partnerships, Um, And I'll leave the names out in case they listen to this, I guess. So we'll leave the partnerships one there. But then there's a guy who's kind of the T-Rex. He goes in and he just closes deals, you know, $5,000. He'd rather get the quick one than the big one. And then there's an enterprise seller. And they all had very different characteristics. And after I went home, they were all kind of going at it like my way is the right way. And the the answer is there's not one right way. If they're the T-Rex... Be, be the T-Rex and find the job that lines up to being the T-Rex. If you're the brontosaurus, be the brontosaurus, right? Be who God made you to be. Otherwise, you're going to make yourself into something that you're not. And it's very painful to try to be something that you're not. Yeah, that's that's so true. And, and, and it's interesting that you say be who you're supposed to be, right? Like we, we're, we call ourselves human beings, but yet most of us are just human doings. And so when we take a step back and be that individual that we were called to be, you know, for me, it's an evangelist. I I am an evangelist for our organization, for our companies, for my nonprofit that I have, for my family, for my church and faith. Like I am a consummate evangelist. And when you look at that dinosaur reference, it's like you don't need to hear the brontosaurus to see him a mile away because his head is up above the trees. He's seeing everything and he's slowly moving forward, but he's got a team with him. He's got a herd with him. And that's what I've been called to do and called to be. I've been, you know, called a gatherer by some of my friends where I am able to come in and just wow a room, but not just wow a room, get people to be like, I want to go with him. And that's how my organization build. And, you know, and we'll talk about these struggles here shortly, I'm sure. But it's helped me build back faster, not just better. Mm, Yes. So thinking of your younger self, the kid playing with the dinosaurs, he comes in the room right now and knocks on the door and he's like, Hey bro, great to see you. And, and says, man, you're doing so cool. You've you're married. You're high five, like awesome job. You know, your son's rocking it. Is there anything that he would sit across from the table, look you in the eyes and go, man, there's this one little gap. What are we doing to work on that? Is there anything you think younger Bryce would look at current Bryce and find a gap on and want you to work on it? That's a tough one. I I would almost have to reverse the roles and just give myself encouragement, Chad, and and warn myself that you're going to go through a lot and let them know that everything's going to turn out okay. You know, Uh, at the end of the day, 
you know, the, the Bible, whether you're an adherent or believer of the Bible, we can, nobody can deny that it's the best-selling book of all time, always has been, always will be. And in the word, it's, it's you know, gosh, there, there's going to be, I don't remember even where I was going to go with that, but there's going to be challenges. But when you keep pushing through the shadows of life, and know that there is a light casting that shadow somewhere and you keep going and you keep driving and you keep living as if there's another explanation, you can do anything. I believe that. And so, you know, if I had to flip it back to your question, I would say start sooner. If I was my eight-year-old, nine-year-old self, start sooner on this personal development battle. Start sooner on hiring a coach. Start sooner, you know, because I didn't have these things ingrained into me as a child. Everything that I learned was after the age of 22 when my first coach and mentor and really role model and father figure was put in my life because of some of the traumas that I had as a young child and teenager. So, so let's get to that now. That's my buzzsaw question. So this is the favorite question in my whole podcast, or maybe second favorite. Um, tell me about a time when you experienced a traumatic event in your life that you're comfortable sharing on a podcast. And, and I look at it as the buzzsaw. Sometimes, sometimes they feel like it's the biggest mountain that you're in at the moment. And then looking back, you're like, oh, yeah, that became just a speed bump in my life. You and I talked about one or two of those. Yeah, I was going to say, man, I had a series of unfortunate events, Chad. You know, I, I think if I had to nail it down to one, it was September 28, 2011, when the same 40 cal that sits next to my bed tonight has not jammed since and it had never jammed before. But in a moment of frustration, desperation and lack of aspiration, I pulled the trigger and not just once, not twice, but three times. And I had a miraculous, like Lazarus out of the grave miracle happen to where my son, who was barely a year old, and we all know babies don't talk, but the same voice that I hear today when my 11-year-old's like, Dad, I love you, good night, that same voice I heard when he was about one say, Daddy, everything's going to be okay. Mm. That would have to be the one moment. But there was a series of events that led up to that. I mean, at eight years old, I had a paper route and I wanted more responsibilities. And yet I got fired because Karen found out I was eight and not 10. And you had to be 10 to have a paper route. So I convinced them to put the route in my parents' name and, and overcome that obstacle. And then when I turned 10, I got six paper routes in total. And I was making more money than my parents were combined. And I was helping be a contribution to the family, to the team. And then my parents went through a nasty separation. And I ended up hanging out with the wrong crowd and joining gangs and drugs and violence and facing two counts of manslaughter, drug trafficking and conspiracy charges by when I had grown up this really strict, like cult-like religion, everything I knew about God went out the window. And I turned to this rebellious adolescent that just hated the world, people, and everything to do with it. And when the gavel comes down and all charges are dismissed, you really start to self-evaluate and understand that 
there's something out there that's watching over you. And I didn't know or care at the time. And I just went to work. And my uncle gave me a shot selling cars or detailing cars at the time at his dealership. And I begged him for a shot. He gave me a shot. And within two and a half years, I'd become the number one car salesman in the world. I had the world by the you know what, by the cojones, as they would say, right? I was, you know, a couple of seven and eight figure contracts between Ford and Nissan and Toyota and Honda and traveling the world, living, quote unquote, my best life. And then unfortunately, in 2006, had a son of my wife's who we were in an open, you know, relationship at the time, uh, ended up being killed due to negligent medical homicide. And all I knew how to deal with coping with things like that was to work harder and do more, right? The human doing versus the human being. So I did more, I do more, I do more, do more work, do more contracts, do more consulting. And I wasn't there for my wife. And by Friday, June 13, 2008, I'll never forget, I was on my way home from, a, from an event that I was speaking at. And I get a call that she had taken her life. And over the next 18 months, my life would spiral out of control. Drinking, drugs, cocaine, weed, speed, you name it. $80 million in five companies flushed right down the drain, up my nose and in a bottle. And it was in that moment, after sleeping in my car, being homeless for almost a year, in September 2011, when I just said, you know what, I'm done. And I pulled the trigger and it jammed. And as I look back on that moment, I get the opportunity to see the pieces of the puzzle and how they fall. You know, we, we often buy a puzzle at the store and we see the box and we see how beautiful it's going to be and we work toward that goal. But life is not like that. Life is like the puzzle that we get at the garage sale in the bag and we hope that we've got all the pieces and the shit to put it together with. And I'll tell you, man, as I look back at these pieces and how they've fallen, this life has been beautiful. And most people would sulk and sour in the demise that I've been through and apologize and tell me they're sorry. But I don't want to hear you're sorry because you're not. You don't know what it, been, what it felt like. And if you've had anything like that, you only know what it felt like through your lens. And so I believe that if we look at life as if there's always another explanation, no matter where you're at, at the top, middle or bottom, you can see the pieces of the puzzle and how they've fallen, and you can be damn grateful that you are right where you are in any given moment. Mm, man, that's so compelling. I know another person who had a battle with a gun and the gun lost. Um, and, and then I also, a guy I'm helping right now named Jarvis, who's building a 60-acre farm, kicked down the wrong door because he was partying. He thought it was the same door he came out of, but it was That's the never fun. <laughs> and it was a police officer and his gun jammed three times. <laughs> and now he is pot committed to, you know what, that happened for a reason. And, and now he's committed to impacting as many people's lives as he possibly can. And, and that's magic. 
Um, my other friend too, he plays 250 concerts a year now. He broke the Guinness World Record for number of concerts played in 24 hours, nice. all for charity. Um, and he's helped raise $4 million across multiple charities, Wounded Warrior Project and, and others that are that are pretty magical. So, man, that's deep. I love it. Um, okay, we, we tell the next question is tell us about a time God undeniably showed up for you in your life when your son spoke to you and he was one and he hurt and he sounded like he was 11. Man, to me, that that's that's God in the middle of all of that. Um, have you had other times where you've heard from God or is it in situations? Some people are like, how do I create a relationship with God? And, and everyone experiences God in different ways. How have yeah. you seen and felt and heard from him over your life? Yeah, I love this question because most people think that God is this like supreme dictatorship. And I want to encourage somebody on the sound of my voice to know that he is the person that you desire to have a relationship with. So if you talk to your friends and your family and you're very soft and you're very sweet, that is God. If you're like me, like I'm rough around the edges, I've got a lot of gangster in me still, and I'm, I'm sometimes a little too harsh and I hurt people's feelings unintentionally and have to circle back and like, man, I didn't mean it that way. Please forgive me. Like that is also God. He is not this pansy, weak pussy that most faith believers believe that he is. My God is, he's a gangster. I mean, you look in the book of Mark and he kicked over the change tables and cussed out the priest of the temple because they were defiling his house, right? I mean, my God is kind of a badass, but that's how I need to be talked to. And that's how he talks to me and how I talk to him. And so I want to encourage someone to just know that still small voice and sometimes that slap upside the head, all of that is him and he will show up right where you are, how you need to hear him, when you need to hear him. And I just want to encourage someone. For me, Chad, I've, I've had this amazing like transformation, Lazarus out of the grave experience. I talk to him just like we're talking to him. I call him bro. Like I was trying to find a picture on my phone. I couldn't find it fast enough, but I've got a picture where I was out on my back patio with my Bible, just like, all right, bro, like I miss you, man. I need to hear from you. And um, out on the back patio, my wife had been uh, spray painting some weights for her, for our weight room in, in our gym, in our house. And um, she couldn't get one of the cans, like it was clogged up. So I like cleaned it up and I wrote my initials, which is the B and the M and how I sign things as like a really cool BM with a circle around it. Cause I do a lot of signatures and autographs, right? And so I had to come up with this really cool signature that was BM with a circle around it. And I did that hours earlier. Well, now I'm back on this patio and having this moment where like, bro, I need to hear from you. I, it's been a while. And it had started raining and I was just out there on the patio. And wouldn't you know, I look up from doing my little bit Bible study, prayer, devotion, and my initials like blended together and the paint and rain kind of melted them. And it literally said, bro, B-R-O on the cardboard across the way. I'm like, get out of here. Wow. All right. 
I, I, I'm done. Like, thanks. That's all I needed. And I was done. So sometimes he shows up like that. Other times, you know, you ask for instances that night, my gun jet, I showed, I told him to show up. I'd been sober for almost a year at this point, trying to get back on my feet. I had just won custody of my son because he was from a girl that I had met while I was out drinking and partying after my wife passed. And so here I am homeless, single dad. My daughter's back in Illinois with, with family son in the back seat of the car, gun in my mouth that jams. And I get mad. I'm like, bro, show up. If you're half of what they say you are and anything that you claim to be, show up. And I'll never forget, I don't recall falling asleep, but I do recall waking up to a phone call from Wells Fargo and they needed me to come into a local branch because there was suspected fraudulent activity on my account. Now, Chad, I'm thinking, I just pissed through $80 million over the last two years. Like, I've got 32 bucks to my name. I know where my money's at. Like I'm penny pinching, I'm sober, I'm trying to get my stuff back together. I know what's going on. I haven't done anything. I show up to the branch and one of my old clients found a past invoice due and wired 20 grand into my account. Mm. Tell me God didn't show up. Mm. And what does every really good gangster do? Penny pinches and go celebrates with tacos, right? So I go to the little taco shop here in North Dallas, grab some tacos with my boy and I. We're sitting there talking like we're, I'm trying to map out a plan. I'm going to go to the library on Monday. We're going to look for new jobs. I'm going to get an apartment over the next week or two. And within an hour or two, I get a phone call from an apartment complex that's running a special and they happen to have an opening. No first month rent, no deposit. So now here I am within like 12 hours of me trying to take my life. I've got money in the bank, a roof over my head. I moved in that afternoon with literally the clothes from my trunk of my car, my laptop that, my laptop that only worked off of Wi-Fi and whatever belongings, my son and toys and diapers and stuff. Within three months, I found real estate made close to a million dollars in the first couple of months, finding this little niche in real estate. Fast forward five years, a multi seven and eight figure businesses. And then about three years ago, well, seven years ago, I met the love of my life while I was kind of building this all back up. Three years ago, we decided to get married and we're like, well, let's do it right. We're not gonna live together. We'll find a house, we'll get married, we'll move in. Well, me as an investor, I find this off-market property that these people are going through a divorce and I get a great discount on it, move into the house and I'm praying what is now my office right here where we're talking from. I'm laying on the floor and I hear that voice again from that night that says, get up. Well, you can't see it in the reflection here, but right about here in the reflection of this window that's out here, there's a water tower. Well, back when I was homeless 10 years ago, before this subdivision was here, I used to pull my car back in the woods behind this water tower, which is now the subdivision that I live in. Didn't even notice it going through the buying transaction of this house. Hmm. Hmm. You can't tell me that's not a miracle. That day I heard get up, I would look down, I'm like, holy cow. He goes, that's where I brought you from. Watch where I'll take you. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I moved into this house and then that company that I built 
that investment portfolio and company that I built with my partners, uh, one guy got married, the other guy moved to Mexico to manage some properties that we have down there. And things started falling apart really fast. I'm like, I just got married. I just got a house. I'm like, bro, like, what are we doing? And now you fast forward, it's going on four years now, three and a half years, started over again. And everything that I walked away from three and a half, four years ago, we've done times 10. Yeah. So the the lining in there, if you're listening to this podcast and you're hearing this part of the valley and you're in it, doesn't matter if you're all the way at the deep part of the valley or on the way down the valley, the mustard seed of faith is really the moral of this story that I've heard you say, right? Because, bro, God, where are you? When you put it out there, and and even if you have a, a, a thought, does God even really exist? I've heard of multiple people going, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, just show yourself. Like, would you make yourself seen? And and the most amazing things come from those simple conversations and requests. Yeah. You've heard it, you've seen it. The the bro story with your BM initials, the yeah. the water tower. I'm sitting in an office right now myself with those two skateboards behind me and the electric guitars. This is my neighborhood I grew up in. When I lived here, I had a mohawk and a nose ring and three earrings in this left ear. And it was like a foot and a half tall with blonde tips because I needed to be seen, right? Because dad was from the Midwest. Dad didn't necessarily say, Chad, I love you. It was more, I'll show you. And so I always had a question in my back of my mind. And so now I'm living in the same neighborhood and I'm very happy. He comes over, helps me shovel the driveway and put in shelves in my house and shows me that he loves me every day. Uh, and it's my birthday and he'll be here in a few hours. <laughs> celebrating. Birthday, Chad, birthday. I for that, man. Yeah. Look at us now celebrating. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned faith and, and the Bible says, you know, even faith like a mustard seed, right? But it also says have faith, childlike faith. And a lot of people have a hard time, like, what is a mustard seed? Well, it's like tiny, right? But I like to use the childlike faith as an example, because a lot of times people can visualize things. And I once did a talk on childlike faith. And what I want people to take away from that, Chad, is this. Faith doesn't have feelings. Faith does not work on feelings and emotions because if anything, you're either going to be excited because it happened. That's not faith. That is recognition or you're scared. So you don't take faith and then you're just working off of feelings and faith is right there in the middle. It doesn't have emotion. Faith doesn't have feelings. And so I like to think of, think of your child or your niece or your nephew. When that niece, nephew, or child in your life, and you can picture them, right? You can see them. Now go back to when that child was one or two years old and didn't know anything, and you placed them on a countertop. See it? Yeah. Right? So now you turn your back and you go to wash the dishes, and they're standing there. They're waiting for you to turn around, and the minute you do, they reach out and fall off the counter. That's faith. 
because they don't understand the valley that they're about to fall into or the floor that they'll hit their face on. They just know that from them to you is a gap and they reach out and grab. There's no feelings attached to that. And if we can have that same faith and just reach out or step out and not worry about the dip, not worry about the fall, because it's inevitably going to happen. It's inevitably going to happen. But take away the emotion, and now your faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger every single time. So even when, yeah. That's, well, and that's kind of like the talk with Townsend at the airport, because when he said, look at all the times you did have faith and look at all the times you had the conversation and just put them on a Google Doc and, and say, oh, wow, this was kind of a neat conversation. This was neat. This was the faith, the, the rewards of faith are actually there. We just oftentimes have a, you know, we, we don't accept it. We don't, we don't take the feedback and go, wait a second. Things are really actually very quite good at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Um, last question is we've already hit on it a little bit and it's, it's about faith. So <laughs> funny, we've walked into that one already, right? So if you were to, we've kind of even defined it, but what, what role, you know, you just, you've done a talk on it. What role does faith play in your, in your life? It's everything. It's everything. I, I wake up with faith. I, I go to bed with faith, knowing that I've got, you know, a new life tomorrow. It, it's literally everything that I live by and live through because I know that tomorrow is not promised. So whether it's my faith in my God, faith in my organization, faith in my abilities, faith in my family, my friends, those that are new friends or old friends, if I give somebody the benefit of the doubt first and have faith in them, they can't let me down because again, faith doesn't have emotion. And so if we give someone, it's just like being that servant leader that we all aspire to be. Well, you can't give somebody something and expect something in return and allow them to have their fullest and greatest potential because if they fail you, then it's an opportunity to grow sharpen or remove. But without faith, we don't have or give ourselves and others around us the opportunity to do any of that. What did you call it? A new life. Do you remember what you just said? It was really like the name of this podcast, I think. A new life tomorrow. I think that's what you said. And it's like, if we think of tomorrow as a clean slate, what, what, you know, if I were born tomorrow, what would I do? And, and I'm not, I've got a lot of uh, skills and, and assets to my life. So man, looking at each day as well, and that's in the book, right? The greatest salesman in the world by Og Mandino. I read that book hundreds of times when I was younger, yeah. live each day as if it were your last. And there's so many scrolls of truth in that book. Um, yeah. But it's it's pretty cool. Well, this has been a really phenomenal talk with you today, Bryce. I really appreciate you investing some time. If people want to get a hold of you and uh, get in touch, what would be the best way to reach out? Yeah, best way to reach out to me is uh, shoot a message on any one of my social media platforms. Uh, Coach Sharpen on Instagram, otherwise Bryce McKinley on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. 
any one of those platforms is the best way to get a hold of me. If, it, if it's a personal message, uh, my team will make sure that I get back. And I like voice notes, so I might respond best that way. Um, and, you know, my recent real estate book is the five hour flip method, how I flipped cars or how I flipped houses from the backseat of my car. And we've done over, you know, 10,000 plus transactions. That's the number five hourflip.com. You can get your ebook. It's like seven bucks, five hourflip.com. And, and all throughout the ebook, like every chapter, there's no sales pitch, but there's an opportunity to book a call with myself and my partner, Kyle, and uh, jump on our calendar. So, Okay, let me ask you one bonus question, because this sure. one I thought of at the beginning, and now it just came back. When, when I read your LinkedIn, when we've talked top five in the world, and that's pretty amazing, and you should feel proud of that. You, you are, right? Um, Arjun Sen works with Tiger Woods. He worked with Tiger's caddy. He coaches people from a marketing perspective and points out and reminds us that we're one of one for eternity. Not ever, there'll never be another Bryce McKinley. Never, ever, period. There never has been, there never will be. Yeah. And so getting in tune, if, if you were to think, and maybe you don't have the answer today, but start, think on this and pray on it. What, and I bet you know it. I'll bet it's just right there, uh, right at the surface. What's your one of one in the world? There'll never be a one, another one of me, right? Because one of five is awesome. That's freaking amazing. Everybody would strive for that. Knowing that you, Bryce McKinley, are one of one, and me, Chad Burmeister, are one of one, figuring out what that is and narrowing the field from five to one. Man, it, and what it means is it doesn't have to be a tall mountain like Pikes Peak. It doesn't have to be this or that. It's just understanding what your one of oneness is and then yeah. leaning into it and being that. And then everything just kind of becomes so freaking awesome. <laughs> Do you know your one of oneness? I, I think it, I, I think it's it's been so it's it's my uncanny ability to get people to move in the direction that i want them to do or yes. go yes. That, that, the hands down it is you know uh, i don't believe that the most effective person is necessarily a genius in the organization but is a genius maker and that is the one thing that i know that i practice daily i mean i've got I'm not even on my sales team anymore, but I've got our acquisition script pinned with the push pin in my wall. And I just dropped post-its because I like post-it notes, you know, on the wall. And I practice. I practice my script. I practice how I ask questions. And, you know, I've, I study. I believe that you should study the masters. And I study myself. I watch my tapes just like a football player watches tapes or a baseball player watches tapes or a fighter watches tapes. I watch my tapes. You can go into one of my Facebook groups, uh, virtual wholesaling real estate tips and techniques. There's like four years of cold calls when I started this business 10 years ago. Literally the first four years of my business, I recorded every call and did a live stream in this real estate group. I didn't have it at the time. It was just a private group that I just used as a recording. And then I later changed the name and used it for marketing. But I didn't know I was going to do that. I was recording for my tapes. 
And so I believe that great questions leads lead to great insights. And so my opportunity or my one-of-one is I have been blessed with the uncanny ability to ask questions that helps the other individual think differently in order to move them in the way that I want to move them. Wow. So you know what? The You Matter movement is a new thing that my friend Daryl Stinson is behind. And he needs the one of oneness to get that movement underway. And it fits precisely in line with what we've been talking about, because people don't know they matter sometimes and they hit the peak or in the valley. And so it's important that people know that. So we've got hoodies. We handed out 25 of them in Denver recently. And and we believe that you matter could be a really, really big, important message. So I feel you could be at the helping us uh, helping us with that one. So, all right, everybody, thanks for joining another Living a Better Story podcast. Amazing conversation. Bryce McKinley from Texas. We appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chad. I appreciate you. God's peace, everybody.